Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. Today is a different day in the life of our church as um, we aren't gathering together as we typically do. Instead, we are having table church, which means we have different homes and restaurants around our city and our communities gathering around tables to do scripture reading, liturgy readings, lighting of Advent wreath as they reflect upon this Advent season. But regardless, we still wanted to share a message to our podcast community. So I hope this is an encouragement to you as you walk through this Advent season. Our scripture reading comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, as you know, we are in this series called Hidden Christmas, and we have the goal in this series to make some of the truths and the beauty that are found in this Christmas story less hidden to one another. And the story that we have just heard in Luke's gospel, uh, for me, really embodies two of the most important characteristics of God that seem to play with one another. In particular, a word that stands out in this story for me is the word glory, It's a word that we rarely hear or use in our common vernacular. In this story, though, the shepherds were minding their business, finishing off a long day caring for their flock, and as the fire was crackling into the silence of the night, they were probably just settling into their rest. But they were about to be the recipients of some sort of divine surprise party, because the silence of the night was about to be interrupted. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. From the darkness of their night, and maybe even the darkness of their routine, their dreary, isolated life, an angel shows up, and God's glory shone around them. Glory. The Hebrew word for this word is kadosh. (laughs) I love that, kadosh. It was a, a word used to describe God's brilliance, his power, purity, his otherness is another way of saying it. You know, it's a silly venture to try to attempt to define God's glory because if we feel like we have fully understood it, well, that's when we know that we are mistaken. God's glory is not finite. It's not easily comprehensible. To understand God's glory means that we will never understand God's glory in its fullness It is cloaked in mystery and grandeur, 
and expansive otherness. Theologians here might insert a word, transcendence, that this displays God's transcendence, how God is removed and greater and higher than we will ever understand. That, my friends, is God's glory. It is otherworldly. Something that is common when God's glory is revealed upon humanity is that when people encounter it, there is a typical response that they have. And the shepherds have it here. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And what are the next words? And they were terrified. When people encounter God's glory, his brilliance, his power, people seem to have this kind of profound and immediate response to that sense of self-awareness that they have in God's presence. Who am I compared to this? Usually that means them falling on their faces and having some sort of fear that is induced. And yet, when the angel interrupts their trembling fear, they do so by saying in verse 10, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. This sense of awe and reverence and fear is humanity's response to God's glory, but God doesn't want them to be stuck in that posture. It's quite the opposite. The angel begins by commanding the shepherds, Be not afraid. I'm here to bring you good news. It's heading your way, and this news is there to cause great joy for all the people. What began with fear ends with joy. And I love that it says great joy. What will cause great joy? Well, their words were, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And then they share, okay, what kind of sign should you be looking for to believe that this is true? Well, you're going to find a child in an unlikely place. You will find a baby wrapped, wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. The glory and otherness and bigness of God was there to declare a message. It was there to declare kind of an opposite message, seemingly a contradictory message. The Savior is coming, this glorious, powerful Savior. The Lord is coming, and he's coming as one of you, as a vulnerable child, even lying in a manger of all places. This actually reveals for me the second truth that is hidden in the story of Christmas. God is not merely incomprehensible or removed or otherly. God is one of us. The theological word for this is that God is imminent. He's near us, close to us, as one of us. It's a way of saying that God is here. What this Christmas story tells us is that God is not just all-powerful. He's not some just creative force, big and abstract. Nor is God a grand puppeteer making the world move from behind a curtain. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be born on an ordinary night in a village called Bethlehem. Take that in for a second. God was born. Flesh and bones human, common, like me and like you. 
It's interesting to me, when you stop and you look at the story, and even in these verses that we have heard right here, do we notice how these two characteristics are seemingly playing against each other? Seems like they're pulling on extremes, like a like a painter stretches out a canvas, the angel is stretching out the shepherd's imagination, and if we allow it, stretching out our imagination too. On one hand, we have the power, the bigness, and the mystery of God. And yet, on the other hand, there is the commonness of Jesus, the nearness of Christ incarnate, made in flesh here among us. I believe this sets the basic understanding for us as Christians of who God is. These two characteristics must be held together to begin to comprehend who Jesus is. If not, we will fall into one of two different tragic pits. One pit is that we might make a big deal of Jesus, his godness, his divinity, but downplay the fact that he was human. When we do that, Jesus no longer is a real person. But on the other end, the other pitfall that we have is that we accentuate Jesus as a human, but deny that he was God. We try to make Jesus into a good moral example. And who cares if he did miracles or actually rose from the dead? So this is a critical aspect of our life with Jesus. Jesus is grander than we might ever be able to fathom. He is creator and sustainer of all life. He is eternal. He is God. Yet Jesus was as much of a person as you and as me. He knows what it's like to have dreams, to have friends, to have fears, to be tempted, to sneeze. (laughs) The feeling of being rejected. This God in flesh showed unwavering solidarity with humanity. The all-powerful God chose to move near. Jesus is not only completely holy, but he's completely human. All-powerful and relatably weak. Distant, yet here. Infinitely, infinitely unknowable, but completely relatable. Completely other, and yet also one of us. So in Jesus we can find the human face of God. John would write about Jesus and he would choose to introduce Jesus with these words in John 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the paradoxical beauty of God's character hidden in Christmas in this story. Sometime back while I was sitting at a, in a, on a bench in Colorado, I was overlooking the Rockies with my oldest daughter, my nine-year-old daughter, and I decided to have a moment, to kind of fabricate, create a moment with her. While looking at the stunning, majestic setting, I asked my daughter to describe what she saw. So she spent some time, she talked about the trees, and then the mountains, And then the clouds rolling overhead, and each time she would describe something, I kept repeating afterwards, but there's more. You know, I was trying to give her this memorable moment of some sort of fatherly wisdom I could pass along to her, that when we think we have seen it all, there is always more. My daughter didn't find it to be a profound moment of wisdom. She just kind of found it annoying. (laughs) 
But you see, when it comes to with our, our life with God, there is always more. I love how um, Franciscus, uh, Franciscan uh, priest Richard Rohr speaks of this characteristic, the mystery of God. The sacred mystery of God does not mean that God is unknowable, but that God is infinitely knowable. We can always expand our understanding of, of who God is. There is always more. Rather than causing us to believe that we will never know God, so why bother? He's just cloaked in mystery. The mystery of God in, instead invites us to this unending journey and adventure in exploring and expanding our understanding of who God is and therefore who we have been called to be. The Christmas story reveals the paradox of who God is. Christ is more unknowable than we could imagine, and yet more like us than we could dare believe. One of my favorite parts of this story happens after the angels the angel is done talking. The, after the angel has calmed down the shepherds and told them about the birth of Jesus and kind of sent them on like this hide-and-seek, this <laughs> divine hide-and-seek game, all of a sudden... This heavenly curtain is just drawn open, and the shepherd's night was about to get even more wild. Verse 13 says, Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. This heavenly chorus, they were singing a song that exemplifies exactly what we're talking about, the nature of God. They sang glory, again, glory to God, where? In the highest heavens, not just heavens, but the highest heavens, removed, transcendent, unknowable heights. And what else did they say? And on earth, even lowly Bethlehem, even in a trough, peace to those on whom... God's favor rests. And as quick as the angels and the glory appeared, it was gone. And I love to imagine the echoing sound through the canyons, maybe even the shepherd's ears. What was echoing might have been those final words, peace to those on whom his favor rests. We see here the byproduct of encountering a God of paradoxical extremes, one that is full of glory and also here among us. The byproduct of that life is peace. Peace to those on whom receives God's favor. When we experience a God of glory and vulnerability, one of holiness and of humanity, we are given peace. Why? Because that God came near. That was not only true 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, but that remains to be God's character today for you. The God of all power and might is as close to you right now as the air you breathe. God wants you to know that there is peace for those whom are waiting for mercy and grace to come near. Those are the people on whom his favor rests. This unexpected moment sent the shepherds to see if on the same night they could experience God's glory and nearness, not only in the voice of the angel or the angels, but also in the face of God, in the face of a baby. And peace did come to those shepherds. 
And this is how their story ends in verse 20. The shepherds, after they saw Jesus, the shepherds returned glorifying, notice that glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They got drawn into the story. They got sucked into the experience of the angels where they returned bringing God's glory because they saw God just as they were promised. This story and these hidden truths of Christmas has made me wonder, do I hold these paradoxical truths about God in my own heart and mind? Have I neglected to remember that God is more holy and powerful and unknowable and grand and mysterious than I could ever fathom? Or have I neglected to remember that Jesus is here with me, whom I could relate to, everything I'm going through, that God was fully human and for me? Christmas invites us to know that God one that's full of glory and humanity so that we might experience peace. This Advent season, may the paradoxical truth of Christ afflict your heart and soul. Friends, prepare yourself to behold Christ's glory, for Jesus is here. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about the vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to the Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.